This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The official Brighton and Hove Albion podcast with MyDieselClaim.com. If you've ever wondered what it's like to commentate to 20 million people on an England World Cup quarter final, you're about to find out. We are going to talk to Sam Matterface about referees, VAR, and online abuse and how it affects your mental health. Sam, you've just hosted a conference, really, on the economic impact of Brighton and Hove Albion on this fair mm. city of ours. And you called this the most welcoming arena in the Premier League. Is that right? Yeah, I think it is. I think it's not only for people like me who come down sporadically, but for away fans. And I think I mentioned that to Paul Barber during the the conversation. And I thought it was really revealing what he said. He said, why would you alienate 3,000 people? They're customers. They're people that are going to buy produce from you. So, And I think it is. I think it has that tone. They don't want to create an atmosphere of complete hostility in and around the stadium maybe inside when the game's going it's you know it's the blood's up and the atmosphere's great but on the way in and around the city it's always just a great place to come isn't it and it makes you feel like you want to come back what was the first Albion game you commentated on was it back in the Withdean days I was talking about this uh, not commentating on the first one I reported on was definitely I don't know I did commentate I was when I was doing Portsmouth local radio I would have done Brighton at the Whitdean, yeah, yeah, I would have done it down at the Whitdean, definitely. It Just, was, um, it was, it was, it was difficult to see everything. <laughs> <laughs> but you had a little bit of cover, a little bit of cover, a little bit of cover. I felt I remember doing an FA Cup game for talks when I went back to radio. So I had about four or five years out when I was doing television, and I came back to radio in 2010 because Talksport bought load of rights. And I remember the first FA Cup game that I did for Talksport was at the Whitdean. It was against Portsmouth again, and um, I almost felt like I was sitting like on a in a little deck chair doing like <laughs> reports on like a, a, a game taking place in the summer because it was a bright sunny day for some reason it was the middle of January but yeah um but I remember that place well yeah um I suppose after after we've just chatted on the economic forum that, that you've just hosted how impressive is the journey of Brighton and Albion to, to an outsider I think it's amazing it, it's amazing because I think there was always the hope that it was going to happen but the delivery wasn't seemingly quick in coming but since the move here the the speed of the trajectory has been unbelievable hasn't it I mean you know when you think the the way they've gone from the lower tier of football into now European football in such double quick time it's crazy and some of the, the you know some of that journey hasn't always been seamless there's been moments where people have gone why are they doing that why are they doing that but everything seemingly that Tony Bloom and his team have touched at this moment in time appears to have turned to gold. And that's 
Yeah, that must be a great experience for the, the supporters, I think. And then you think of all those hardened supporters that did go to the Whitdean, that yeah. were the ones at, at the Goldstone ground on the, those last few days protesting, trying to get people to take notice. You know, how must it feel for them now to sit in their seat in this wonderful arena and watch this, this football club rise? Well, not to mention the ones who went to Gillingham, never mind Whitdean. Yes, that was a, a, that was a thing, wasn't it? went to Gillingham yeah. every week. Yeah. You know? but, um, and you, you said at the forum that um, the Brighton won Man City won game last season was one of the best tactical and technical games you've seen and as you also pointed out it didn't really mean anything but mm. it was a it was a fabulous exhibition of of, of f- technical football wasn't it uh, tell us about that do you know what I've thought about this a lot because I was asked about it on another show what was your favourite game and I think it's very easy to sort of pick out oh the World Cup final or the European Championship or this Champions League final and there's all those great moments that I've been really fortunate and privileged to go to and see but there's something pure about a football match between two really idealistic football coaches and teams that want to play wonderful football, that they produce such a spectacle when there's nothing riding on it. That almost is football, isn't it? You know, the idea of just playing a game for playing a game's sake at the highest possible level that you can play it, even when there's nothing really on it. I thought it was brilliant. And, like, you know, you think that no one ever has that many shots against Manchester City, but Brighton did. You know, the goals that were scored, the disallowed goals, the missed chances from Haaland. It was just, it was just terrific. The atmosphere was brilliant as well because everybody knew that the European journey was, was going to start. But also the fact that, um, you know, the, the sun was out. It was just a brilliant day, wasn't it? It was, it was just a, it was a great, great venue and a, a, a wonderful spectacle. And a wonderful goal. And, and probably one of the best goals of the season, which yeah. was when Enciso cuts in, smashes it. It, it moves like a, like a remote control missile <laughs> and ends up in the back of the net. It was fantastic. I think you just called Brighton a club with no ceilings a few moments ago. I mean, mm. really, when you look at the table, when you look at the powerhouse clubs that you go to week in, week out, is it possible to bridge that gap from Europa League into Champions League? Yeah, someone always will. There's, I think we always sort of in out. We talk ourselves into a situation where we turn around and say that top six is protected or the top four is protected or you know it's difficult. No one's ever going to get into that. Well, someone will. And Newcastle did it last year. And bearing in mind they've been away from it for twenty years, it shows that there is a there is a route back in there if you if you do the right things. And obviously. Brighton have been doing the right things for a long time. Obviously, they're slightly different profile to Newcastle, and at this moment in time, it's step by step. But to get into the Europa League is a massive achievement in the first place. And to think, just to think about going that next step further. I mean, we talked at the beginning of the season, and I remember sitting on one of the shows that I was doing and saying, I think they'll get into the Champions League next year, Brighton. Really early in the season, I, I think they'll do it. And Perry Groves went to me, no, I think they'll fall a bit short. You've been a bit ambitious there. And then about three or four weeks later, he's going to me, I think you might be right. Yeah. <laughs> and listen, they've had a bit of a dip recently, but I think that's going to happen too. I think you're going to ride that out. And I think they have rid that out in, in, a, in a weird way because they're still in, within striking distance. So I think there is a, um, is a high degree of possibility that they'll get there. And if it's not this season, it might be next season. It might be the season after, but I think that will be on the agenda. Yeah, I think it, it's not a question of, of breaking in. It's about staying in. And, yeah. and that is what is going to be the difficult part. But I do feel as though with Tony at the helm, the football he makes decisions for the good of the football club constantly. I can remember being back in the championship and we had a really good squad and everyone from the outside was saying, if he just spends a little bit more money, they'll get there, they'll get there. But we've seen so many clubs fall foul of that. And I think that is, that's the nice thing about Brighton, how it's, 
how he's done it sustainably in his own time at his own pace. Hmm. Yeah, and obviously the recruitment has been a key factor of that. And the I mentioned this in the conference as well, the fact that you know it's pretty accepting that if you sign good players at some stage, they may well end up be tempted to go in somewhere else. And instead of sort of blocking that, making that difficult or making it feel as if it's sort of a, a nasty betrayal to go off somewhere else, it's almost like a pat on the back. Thank you very much. Enjoy yourself. By the way, here's somebody else. It's a brilliant conveyor bout of talent. And that sort of not only regenerates the football club in terms of new personalities, new people all the time, but it says when you're doing your recruitment, I think, come here, we'll give you a chance. We're never going to stand in your way if you want to go and do someone else, but do out your best for us. We will make you thrive. The other thing about the the really big clubs, the super clubs, is that they have these cycles of vulnerability, don't they? Mm. And a lot of your commentaries are going to be about instability at those clubs, managers getting sacked, the, the fans getting fed up, you know, the players, £70 million players not performing. Mm. I guess when you come here, you're you're commentating on, on stability and good decision-making, aren't you, over a long period of time. So does that feel different to you? Yeah, I think it definitely does. And I think when you're asked about football clubs all the time, and we do, we have lots of discussions about, you know, you go on podcasts or you go on a radio show, and we, you're constantly talking about how this club's falling apart, this club's not performing. And everybody says, yeah, but... What about using Brighton as a, as a, they should be doing what Brighton's doing. This is how they should be running their football club. It should be more like Brighton. And I think that's a, a major feather in the cap of the owner that when you talk about making a Premier League club now, you look here for inspiration. I think that's, that's, that's something to be proud of, personally. And I think it's something that a lot of clubs will end up doing and obviously a lot of a lot of clubs look at Brighton and try and take the talent yeah, <laughs> as think, we've already seen I think as far as Brighton are concerned you, you sort of and I think this I think Manchester City actually fall into this as well because for a long time they were behind Manchester United weren't they were Manchester United were dominant and they looked at Manchester United and said how do we catch them and, and Brighton said how do we get to the Premier League how do we get to the Europa League and it's about having a plan and a clear philosophy and that running throughout the football club from top to bottom. And that's like from chairman to the kit man to the dinner ladies, everyone pulling in the right direction. And I think you're right. I think that, that people do look towards Brighton of, of how to run a football but isn't club. But it, isn't it mad that you think that, that that sounds so simple and so sensible? <laughs> and so... and. and Surely that's what everybody does, but it's not what everybody does. And football is such an emotional game that even owners, even chief executives, even people in the club get carried away and they make decisions based on emotion because we feel it. We want to. We want that next. Are we tempted by this because we want to get there? But actually, having that coolness to be able to and the composure to be able to make sensible decisions will probably set you apart. And I think that's what happens. I'm conscious that I'm sitting here with two TV and radio men now here. And, and people, <laughs> people sure. are fascinated by the, by the processes of your job. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about, Sam, is, is how people watch football nowadays, how younger audiences watch mm. the game. Because my theory is they've got a, a remote control in one hand and a mobile phone in the other. Mm. And they're not fixing their focus on the game for 90 minutes in the way that they did, you know, in, in um, John Watson or Barry Davis's day. Yeah. Do you think that's true? And are you conscious of that when you're commentating? I'm not conscious of it when I'm commentating, no. I think uh, when you look back at football matches and you hear people talk about football matches, I think sometimes you sit there and you go, yeah, okay, I can see why you thought that from that point of view. But, you know, did you see the whole thing? Did you see this bit or did you see that bit? It's almost a little bit like going to, we do a lot of games in the stadiums. All of our games, 90% of the games we do, we commentate from the stadiums. But there are the odd one which is in a place which you can't get to or you can't get to at that certain time, so you do it off TV. 
and the difference of watching it on that small screen to doing a commentary when you're in the stadium and you can take in the whole environment is completely different. The official Brighton and Hove Albion podcast. Check if you are eligible for significant compensation for free at mydieselclaim.com. You've never had Glenn on your co-commentary, have you? You never worked together. Have we we did a we did a show. We've done shows together, yes. and we've done a we've done a feature on you, didn't yeah. we? Yeah, did, yeah, up front with Glenn Murray. Um, <laughs> it was a bestseller, wasn't it? I think it was. I think it was the number one podcast <laughs> for a little while. So you, need, you need to be in a box together, commentary box together. I can feel it. I can see. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. We're up for it. We're up for it. Why don't you, why don't you make a move for him? And um, and let's, let's have your golden rules of commentary. Uh, get the goal scorer right. <laughs> I'm really interested in this. Actually, I'm, no, I'm noting this down as you speak. It's so funny, actually, because that's one of the things that like. Whenever you do like a big job, like I remember Peter Drury took over doing the Sky job and I said to him, uh, how, how did it go? And he went, well, I got the goal scorers right. <laughs> That's all the first one we always say. It's like, you know, what, did you get the goal scorers right? Yeah, World Cup final, was it okay? Brilliant game and I got the goal scorers right, so I'm happy. You know, That's all you're really interested. At that moment, first moment afterwards, you're like, yeah. And then you go back and you look it back, could I have done that better? Could I have done that better? So the first thing is get the goal scorers right. Is, is that because that... That clip's going to be clipped yeah. up constantly. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the only reason. Yeah. <laughs> and also, that's like the most important thing, isn't it? The goal scorer is the most important thing. Yeah, it is indeed. I agree was I that. was I was I right in getting all the players correct? That's that's especially television wise. On, on radio, sometimes you might say that it's it's just slightly different because the, the way you build up is different because you've got to describe all the action at the same time and you're almost a little bit behind it and then you've got to catch up, and then behind it again, then go again. But in terms of yeah, getting players' names right. Making sure if you're on radio, you're giving the score a lot. Um, if you're doing radio, it's got to be about description and trying to give a picture of what's going on without going over the top of your description so you get lost in that and forget about the football. You know, it's it's a balancing act. And I, listen, I don't know if I ever get it right or get it wrong or whatever. Sometimes you have a good commentary, sometimes you have a bad one. You're still learning. One of the things I'd always do, and this is the number one rule, is watch or listen to it back and work out where you could have done better. And I do that every time. Right. Uh, uh, well, uh, a, this is a bugbear of mine. I promise you I'm not directing it at you, but um, oh, he, that I, means he is. I, no, I'm, I, <laughs> it might be I, me. I, he's looking at you. It might be me. <laughs> no, I swear. It, it's a thing that I've noticed since I've been on the road less, which is that some modern commentators uh, have this habit of reciting stats for the first 20 minutes of the game mm. and filling the commentary with stats. And there's an oversupply of material that's not to do with the action in front of you. How do you stop yourself doing that? Um, it's. it's um, I think one of the things I, I, I've sort of always gone by is, is that the first part of the game is about setting up the narrative of the game. Stats are really important, but they are only there to embellish a statement you might make about the state of a particular event. So if, the, if a team is playing a certain way, then if you're going to bring a statistic into it, it's got to back something up. There's no point in just chucking out a statistic for no reason. I think we're all guilty of it. I do it. Everyone does it. I think sometimes we do so many matches that sometimes we sort of, oh yeah, that's a good stat. I'll write that down. And then you're talking away and you just throw something and you think, why have I said that? You know, that happens. But in an ideal commentary, if I was planning a commentary, and you never can because events take over. I mean, I did a game Monday night, the Tottenham-Chelsea game, which was... It, well, yeah, it finished 4-1 to Chelsea. There was millions of VAR calls and loads of disallowed goals. That game will probably be a, a Premier League epic going forward. I had loads and loads of notes. I'd spent hours preparing loads of different sort of statistics for the way that players 
play or t- Tottenham sh- shape up or Chelsea would respond. And it was all just, I didn't use any of it. It was just all nonsense. It was just a waste of a waste of my energy because the game takes over. And that's the key thing is I, I think, and again, I'm not, I'd never say I was an expert on it. I'm still learning as I go along. I think it's, it's trying to convey the event. You've got to convey the event. That's the key thing. One thing that I found really difficult when I've stepped into the media is that art of the difference between radio commentary and TV commentary. How do you how do you tread that line, and 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 what and how do you approach both differently? Um, I don't approach any of them differently in terms of I do the same level of research for both. I'll do as much research for a game that I'm doing on a Thursday night in the Europa League for. Uh, the world feed, which might be Panathinaikos against Wren or something, which will only ever make TNT's red button channel number 27 <laughs> than I would do if I was doing Tottenham Chelsea or the Manchester Derby or the FA Cup final, the World Cup final. But um, in terms of how I approach it on air, it's a completely different skill. So yeah. you're, it's all about annotating the pictures if you're a commentator we're on television. If you're a commentator on radio, it's about bringing the, the pictures to life. But the the idea of the themes and the narratives are, are pretty similar in terms of the way you sort of looking for events. But when you prepare for a, when I'm sort of preparing for a TV commentary, I'm I'm looking for the little bits around the game as well because a lot of my work will be someone show gives me a picture. So there's a lot, you know, you know what it's like. There's a lot more going on your ear in a TV commentary. Can you got... can you just tell us about that? Because obviously a lot of people don't realise that. that, so, that so you've whilst got people, you're talking yeah. now, there's someone always talking. So you keep talking and then I'll continue yeah. talking. And then there's another four people talking about something else. And can you get me a coffee over there? And yeah, can you give me camera four and all that kind of stuff? That's all happening as you're trying to sort of curate the game and talk to your co-commentator. And that's all happening in your ear at the same time. And the first time I did it, I did it on, did it on ITV4 at St Andrews. Birmingham against Club Bruges. Glamorous. And uh, yeah, <laughs> with Lou Macari. And I didn't have a clue what was going on. This was, this oh, must be 13 years ago, something like that. And he turned around to me at half time and he went to me, just just so you know, I'll, I'll usually take the first replay. And I, I didn't have a clue what I, I said. I didn't know. I'm sorry, Lou. I did not know that was the rules. <laughs> that is the rules. It is the rules. Everybody knows. That I didn't know that was the rules at the time. Um, and I remember coming off and I thought, I need. I need some sort of stiff drink here because my head was buzzing. There's <laughs> yeah. so many people talking and shouting as you're trying to talk, and it's, oh, it's hard. But you sounds, get sounds you like the AI control room to it, me. It, it's exactly what it's like. <laughs> Everybody talking at once. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It, it feels a little bit like that, but it, you get used to it, and you filter it. In the end, you just sort of learn to filter it out, and you know what's what. I mean, sometimes it's still distra- you, you know, but it just it is what it is. But yeah, it's about the, the description on radio, annotation, I think, on television. And no one ever gets it hundred percent right. You know, there's there's great ones out there that do it better than I do. But you you know, you just try and plot your way through it. And I'm still learning, still learning every day. Talking of VAR, now that every game lasts 110 minutes, mm. and you have these long um, delays, well, you know, the VAR process is sorted. I mean, what do you do? Read the shipping forecast or a book at bedtime to fill the gap? I mean, what? what seriously, the shipping what, what forecast do you do might be that? more interesting. Might be. <laughs> I mean, what do you do in that time space where you've got to you've got to say something and you don't know what the outcome's going to be? You just... Well, I, one thing I I was really lucky in that the first ever international game with VAR, I, ITV bought it. It was a it was a international friendly, and someone was sent off in the first two minutes because of a VAR decision. So I'd had to get really acquainted with VAR very quickly. 
I soon realised after doing sort of those test games, I did the Confederations Cup in 2017 that also had VAR. And a goal then got chalked off for like a minimal tiny little offside. It was Eduardo, Eduardo Vargas turned brilliantly, shot into the corner. It was a wonderful goal, but it was offside by a tiny little bit. And I thought at that point, I've really got to get au fait with the laws of the game to the point where if someone asks me, I've got a really good idea about it because that's what I'm going to have to talk about during these delays. Yeah. And I've spent a lot of time doing that. And it's so it is confu- the law is confusing now. The way they've written it, I, I think it's too prescriptive. There's been a lot of changes over the course of the last few years. But I spend a lot of time, especially at the weekends, talking to referees. <laughs> I know you now want to go for a beer with me. That sounds fine. <laughs> <laughs> but, but talking to referees, officials, people that have been involved in the game, you know, that, you know, that know the laws inside out, there are particular officials who you can go to and you can say to them, I'm not sure about this. Can you explain that to me? And within three seconds, they can recite you what the law is. You need that. You need people you can lean on like that. So it's about, I, I do that a lot, just talking to people really and finding out about the law. And then when those events do happen, it can come to you and you can talk about it. But it's important to know the law. Yeah, because you get shown up very quickly if yeah. you didn't actually know the laws of the game, wouldn't you, in your job? Especially now. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think so. You know, 10 years ago, you didn't have to have an intricate knowledge of the law. You didn't have, not as, not as much. The incidents that, you know, even like a double tap on a, on a goal kick, for example, it would happen once every 10 years. You'd never see it. But now, every game has got something where you need to know the law. Okay, so as, a, as one of the top commentators, would you keep or abolish VAR? I think that the, uh, the groundswell of opinion from the supporters is to get rid of it. They don't like it. They don't want it. It delays the game. It's not, um, it's not enhanced the game. I was in a cab the other night. guy was saying to me, you know, VAR hasn't solved anything. It's made things worse and it, it hasn't given you any benefit. There's no benefit. Um, and not, not enough of a benefit. Even the little benefits aren't big enough benefits for you to get, you know, be too positive about. But the realist in me says it's never going to go. They've spent too much money on it. <laughs> you know, it isn't going to happen. So there's no, I almost think, but well, there's no point. Okay, you might want it to be like this. It's a little bit like when people argue about decisions that go against players because you know it shouldn't be like that or the law no when back when I was playing you could get away with that it's not a red card it's like yeah but that's not the law so you have to sort of it's it's pointless conversation was the law applied correctly whether the law is ridiculous or not is is a completely separate conversation but you've got to focus on whether the referee applied the law properly rather than what you think the law should be I've got a big sort of thing about that and VAR is sort of the same. Are you going to get rid of it? No, I'm a realist. So it's a pointless conversation in a sense in that you can't get rid of it. So you might as well just try and find a way to make it work better. And they have to do that. They've got to get better. It's not as bad in other countries. Mm. It's, not, it's not used as bad in other countries. No, I've noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> so social media, which... Yeah, even at my level, I would have a, a experience of you know having words that twenty words in my in my filter. I've got twenty words that if they appear in a reply, I can't I yeah. don't see the reply. You know, it's quite a long list of abusive terms. But in your position, you're in a, a much higher level of potential abuse, aren't you? And, and and modern commentators are in a coconut shy every time they step up to the mic, aren't they? How do you deal with abuse and adverse comment? Can I can I just jump in on that one yeah. because everything that I do in the media. Core commentary 
is the thing you get abused for most, and you're not seeing. It's really surprising. So, so you'll you'll do punditry. You'll be you'll be on screen. And you'll be having your opinion, but when you're not on screen and you're co-commenting on the game, the level of abuse just goes through the roof. Yeah, um... <laughs> that's maybe just me. <laughs> but I notice it, it happens to everyone, um, and you have to sort of rationalise that, you know, because when it first started to happen to me, I thought. Oh my god! Everyone hates me, <laughs> and maybe they do. I don't know. I was used to it every Saturday afternoon. Don't worry. <laughs> but then you have to sort of compute the numbers. You know, when I was doing England games, you did England games. The whole country's watching. I did a game. Here, I, here I, we go. He's, he's going to drop a big number here. Well, I, I'd commentated on a game which had the most single channel watched sporting event in history. You know, Twenty-nine million people watched England versus Denmark in twenty twenty-one. And, you know, if 1% of the people don't like what you've said, <laughs> you know about it. <laughs> well, they make 50% of the noise. Well, That's the trouble, and, isn't and, it? Yeah, and there is all of that. And I think it just goes with, you know, I, I think it's wrong, but it's not the only thing that's wrong with social media. I mean, crikey. I mean, what, what, what female pundits get, what, what you guys get when you're playing on a, on a, on a Saturday afternoon, it's it, yeah, what other supporters get give to each other. There's, I, mean, I know a few supporters. One supporter, one girl in particular, who, who is a supporter of a football club. She goes away. She gets a terrible amount of abuse just because she enjoys herself at a football match, sings songs, celebrates. Do you know? It's it's crazy that people can get so angry about stuff. But the best thing to do, and it was pretty not easy, but it was. It's never been easy. It's horrible. It's actually horrible. It's the worst thing in the world and it can cause you all sorts of mental health problems. And I'll be honest with you, after the European Championships in 2021, I went away, locked myself away for a week and just didn't speak to anyone for a week. Because you, you know what the other thing is, is that people send you a message saying, everything all right? Are you okay? And you're like, yeah, I'm fine. I haven't looked at social media, but I'm going to now because you told me that <laughs> yeah. it's all there or whatever. Yeah. Great, fantastic. Yeah. I was quite blissfully unaware of it. You know what I mean? And sometimes you say things that are wrong that hit the wrong note, and there's a reason for that, but you can't go into it. There's one particular incident which caused a big stir um, that I said. And, you know, I think I know the one you're referring to. Yeah, well, let's not I, go into it. Well, I mean, let's go into it in the sense that, uh, as a fellow journalist, I, I understood that line. It, it wasn't to disparage Harry Kane, was it? It was no. just to say that it was, it was the wrong was outcome, wrong. and it was an image to show. So what you said was, we needed Gary Lineker, but we got... Um, Chris, Chris Waddle, Waddle for the penalty against uh, and France. everyone took that in the but complete wrong way it, it became there. a news story didn't it I mean that's the trouble you can say something that becomes a news story the next day because they, they take stuff off social media people, yeah. people being angry about it on social yeah. media and then it becomes a, a back page story you think well yeah. is that what we do now yeah, yeah well that's a, that's a different conversation <laughs> about yeah that's a different conversation but yes it was uh, it, you know it was it was it was meant actually the other thing that is worth pointing out there there was a lot more context in the build up to it i think i re reminded people that there was a quarter final of a world cup previously where england had got two penalties and that was where the Lineker line came from because he scored two penalties yeah. in that in that uh, so that was that was how we sort of we built we built up to that moment beforehand anyway but yeah, and I think I and and the worst the worst thing about it, and I, listen, the, the the social media storm with the the news story that that happens every. It doesn't matter what you say; something's they're going to pick something up anyway, and it's going it, to, you know, someone's going to take offence to something you say. You can't, especially when there's twenty five million people watching. You're gonna it's going to happen. 
But it was definitely not disparaging towards Harry Kane. It was definitely not disparaging, didn't mean to be disparaging towards Chris Waddle. But the worst thing was, is I think I offended Chris. I don't think Chris was offended initially, but I think other people around him had alerted him to it or whatever, <laughs> and he got up, upset with it. And he, he sent me a message, and I just was like, Chris, I am. You, he knows, he knew me. He spent time in, in, the, in the, 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 the box with me. He knows I didn't mean to, to upset him. He would know that. But I think I think it, it you know it, it it wound him up, and I didn't want to. I would never want to cause him any pain or anybody else any pain because I know what it's like to be on the end of it. And I don't think people got that it was uh, the wider context about a historical event which actually yeah. happened. Um, and it was a reference to that. I wish it wasn't taken in that way. I think I wish people saw it for what it was. Would I do it again? Well, it would get me out of a lot of people's news feed. So yeah, probably. You know. I probably, probably wouldn't do There is it no escape from the news. But there is no, question. you know, there, there's always going to be something. That, that that happens. And I just think you have to just, you have to put it to one side. You have to do your very, very best. You have to work hard. And if I do nothing else, I promise you I work hard. I will do nothing. You know, I'm not necessarily saying that I'm a talented guy or I've got abilities to do this or that. The only thing I will say is I love football and I will work hard and that's all I can do. And I'll do my best. You mentioned that you did the championships in 21 and there was a lot of social media abuse or whatever or, or tweets and things. Yeah. How long did it take you to become, I suppose, build up a thick skin towards towards that criticism? Because it, it does become irrelevant eventually, doesn't it? But the first time you get, I can remember as a football, the first time I got, I was like, whoa, this is like... I think you have to remember what social media is. I think when you... I'm, I, love, I love mathematics. And I love sort of drilling down into almost the statistics of it, really. And you sort of identify how many people are really on it, how many people are reading it, how many people are tweeting about it, how many people, the profile of the people that are t- tweeting about it. And in the, by the time you've got down to all those numbers, it sort of diminishes the impact. And then you try and put that into a box. Maybe it isn't as diminished as um, I've made it in my head, but I have to do that because yeah. otherwise I can't do what I do. Um, and if you worry, and then listen, I've got a, a boss who was was my boss recently, who, who who said to me after I came back from the World Cup, actually, he said to me, "Stop it! You're second guessing yourself. Let yourself go. Just stop trying to edit more as you're going along. Just stop. Go again." And I had to take a couple of days off, whatever. Think about it. Put it all to one side and go. Because sometimes it does, it, and it can drag you. If yeah. you allow it to, it can drag you down, and it does. You know, those tournaments, you know, you know. By the time you get to the end of it, you just, you just want to go away. And I have every time I always book something to go away the next, the next day as soon as I finish because I don't want to talk about it anymore and I don't want to discuss it and I don't want another text message telling me, are you okay? Clearly <laughs> well, uh, the fact that you've sent me that means I'm not going to leave it anyway. <laughs> well, we can, we can tell from today's discussion that you definitely are okay, Sam. It's been really nice to talk to you here oh, at the Thank Amex. you very much. And, um, nice to see you. Best of luck for the rest of the season. Thank you, you too. You too. Cheers. Cheers. Brilliant. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you, mate. And thank you all for listening. What have we got coming up next, Paul? We've got the deadly duo. It's the dream show, Glenn. It's the two legendary Brighton of Albion goal scorers. Bobby Zamora and... Um, oh, it's you, isn't it? Ben Murray. <laughs> <laughs> if only we could have played together. The official Brighton and Hove Albion podcast. Check if you are eligible for significant compensation for free at mydieselclaim.com. 
This podcast is a VoiceWork Sport production for Brighton and Hove Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network.